Well, it is good to be in the Lord's house, isn't it? And how many of you are enjoying the fall weather? Yeah. And we're so glad for that to be here. If you have your Bibles, let's open them to Psalms 42. Psalms 42. I want to talk to you today on the subject of hope. Hope. Um, something that uh, the Washington Redskins are probably not too familiar with <laughs> this year. Amen, Adam? Uh, but I want to talk about hope because sometimes we get ourselves in a, in a mess. I ran into two or three quotes I wanted to share with you. This one was by a guy named William Grinnell. He said, hope fills the afflicted soul with such inward joy and consolation that it can laugh while tears are in the eyes, sigh and sing all in a breath. It is called the rejoicing of hope, Hebrews 3.6. Augustine said this, Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are, at the way things are, and courage to see that they do not remain the way they are. And I liked that. And then one author said uh, basically that uh, the one that has hope dances without music. And so I thought that was kind of appropriate, too. But I want to talk to you about hope. You ever had times when uh, things weren't looking real good, and, and that's what you had to cling on to was hope? Uh, I ran across a little story. A guy said that he read about a ship that was sinking in the middle of a storm. And the captain called out to the crew and said, Does anyone here know how to pray? And that sounds like a pretty you know, reasonable request, a frightening one if you're on a ship and the captain's looking for people that know how to pray. But he says, does anyone here know how to pray? And one man stepped forward and said, yes, sir, I know how to pray. The captain said, wonderful, you pray while the rest of us put on life jackets. We're one short. <laughs> so seeking for volunteers. Sometimes uh, that's a little bit of the hopelessness that we feel, right? Um, Psalms 42, verses 1 through 11. And then if you take time maybe this week or this afternoon, read into chapter 43 on your own because he kind of continues the same theme, talking about hope and, uh, and in the midst of trials and tribulations. But we're going to look at chapter 42 today and talk about what, what is it that gets us down and then messages, uh, a message that David really preaches to himself. The psalmist preaches to himself and gives the remedy. 42 verses 1 through 11, he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams... So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go down mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's an interesting psalm because he goes back and forth and he describes hopelessness. And then he speaks to himself and he says, wait a minute. And he says, why are you cast down? 
Why are you in turmoil? What's going on inside? And if we were to watch from the outside and he wouldn't have pinned this, but maybe walked down the street and verbalized it, we'd think he was one of those crazy peoples talking to himself, right? As he speaks one thing and answers back another thing. But this is a very important topic, the topic of hope, isn't it? Without hope, we are in trouble. We're in desperate trouble. Fortune magazine one time recorded the story about a guy who was a millionaire, and he had looked for ways to encourage young people. In fact, he was given an opportunity to speak at a school in the inner city. And as he went to speak in this school, he needed to speak on success and what what to do to be a success. And he looked out through the crowd, and he realized that these were very low-income children that really uh, the idea of him speaking about anything didn't make a whole lot of sense. And so as he looked at these youngsters, and they were elementary age at this time, he simply stood and talked just a bit, and he says, if you guys will finish school, I'll pay for your college, every one of you. And they said that 90-plus percent of those students finished school and went on to college, most of them. But it was just this idea of hope. It was something that they had never thought was even possible, and so why even bother? But hope creates something within us. Hope is so important that 1 Corinthians describes it as one of the three main ingredients in in the church and in our Christian walk as he talks about prophecy and tongues and, and all sorts of preaching. And then he ends the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, by saying this, So now faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. You know, how many times do we hear people talk about what's the key to a great church? And we hear about, oh, you've got to have great music, and you've got to have friendly people, and you've got to have this, and you've got to have that. And I think the apostle sums it up, faith, hope, and love. This is the greatest. The other things are important, but this is the greatest. Hope has been described as a confident expectation and a desire for something good in the future. And it is built on faith. It's not hopelessness. There's something to this. It's not a, just a want to or a wish or a, a dream or a fantasy. There's more to hope than what we realize. Hebrews says this, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And so when we have this hope, it is built with the building blocks of faith. Our, our hope shouldn't be like, I hope that this preacher gets us out of here by 1130 today. That's a wish, but it is built on something more than it's built on faith. It's built on God's word. But our language describes hope in different terms, doesn't it? In the day and age we live, most of the time when we think hope, we think of a want or desire or a chance of something. It's more risky. It's more filled with doubt. Hope in our language is a desire for something good in the future. We say things like, I hope I get the job so that I can get a car. Hope could also be used in the term of it's the reason for thinking our desire may be filled in the future. We say, my only hope for a new car is if I get a better job. And a third definition that we use in our language is hope is the reason for thinking our desire might be fulfilled. My only hope for a new car is if I can get a better job. But all of those don't have a whole lot of faith attached to them, do they? They are really, you know, like rolling the dice or pulling the handle on a slot machine. My hope, and I hope I do this, and I hope I do that, and I I hope I don't get sick, and they're all filled with doubt. But the biblical term for hope, again, means this confident expectation and a desire for something good in the future. John Piper said this, Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. It not only expects it to happen, it is confident that it will happen. 
there is a moral certainty that the good we expect and desire will be done. And so when we read through our Bibles and we find things like put your hope in God, it should mean more than I hope God can do this. It should have some confidence behind it. As David gives us this psalm, he talks about the things that have drug him down to this point of calling out for hope. He has this discussion with himself, and he questions what's going on in his soul, and at the same time, he prescribes the remedy. Three times he repeats that phrase, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He repeated in verse 11, and then if you went into chapter 43, he again repeats the same phrase, Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, and why are you in turmoil? Let me just suggest this morning that you and I cannot afford to stay down when we get down. We cannot afford. We all have those times when we are down, when we're discouraged, when we're defeated, when we're disappointed. That comes into all of our lives. In fact, if if we were to have a, a raise of hands of how many have never experienced this downcastness that David describes, I, I doubt that there'd be one hand. That, uh, that is raised. We experience that, but we cannot stay there. Uh, sometimes we need to have a face-to-face conversation with ourselves, just like David did. Sometimes we need to speak to our own soul and say, what is wrong with you? Uh, before someone else does it for us, right? Maybe we need to go home and, and just look in the mirror and say, what, what is going on inside of me? Why am I down and why am I discouraged? I talked to someone the other day that was going through a a difficult time and they're just feeling blue and feeling down and feeling discouraged. And I said, well, what's going on? And they said, I don't know. I really don't know. I said, well, what's going right? And they began to describe a bunch of stuff in their life that was just wonderful. But somehow the focus had got moved to some areas that had them down. And sometimes we just need to, to wake ourselves up and say, what's going on? And then maybe like David, we need to preach a message to ourselves say, okay, what's going on? And then turn around and say, it's time to put my hope in God. In fact, it might be the best message you ever heard. It's the one you preach to yourself, right? Why are you down today? And what's going on in your life that has you discouraged? What, what is it? Identify it and then preach that message to yourself. Let me give you some things that David was disappointed about or, or he was downcast about. One of the first that stands out to me is, is the word disappointment. That will bring the heart down, won't it? When he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Disappointment will do it like nothing else. Have you ever had your expectations set high about something and then found you were disappointed? You know, maybe it was an event you were going to and and people had just talked it up. Oh, this is going to be the greatest thing in all the world. And then you get there and you're like, it wasn't that great. Someone talked about how great, you know, this pizza was at this particular place. And you get there and say, oh, what a disappointment. Those are kind of silly things, but sometimes in life we have some humongous expectations. And when our expectations aren't met, we walk away disappointed. David says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God and for the living God. And then he says, when shall I come and appear before you? He had these desires that unfortunately were being unmet. He wanted to be in the presence of God, but he wasn't. He wanted to go and worship God, but he couldn't. And so these desires there, these expectations were unmet, and it left him discouraged. Disappointment maybe leaves us with the phrase, and maybe we've said this in life, this is not what I wanted. 
This is not what I planned. That's disappointment, isn't it? Maybe you've found yourself there. Maybe in your life you've looked at events and where you are today and you say, man, I never would have planned on being right here where I'm at today. Maybe you looked at your checkbook this morning before you came and said, okay, I've got $10. <laughs> we'll get through this. And you say, how did I get here? This isn't what I planned on being a millionaire. Or maybe you find yourself living in a certain place and, and your dream was by now you'd be living on the golf course somewhere. Or maybe you find yourself punching a time clock and you dream by now you'd own your own business and be flying in jets everywhere. Maybe your relationships haven't led where you thought they would. Sometimes we find ourselves where we never dreamed of being. But disappointment is what happens when our desires are not met. Things don't always turn out the way we planned or the way that we wanted. And maybe right now, that's what you're saying. This is not what I had dreamed for my life. I got news for you that are younger. It doesn't get any easier as you get older. <laughs> if you're in your 20s today and you're saying, this is not what I planned, you've got a long time to turn this thing around. You get old like me in your 40s, see... And it's a tougher, you, you know, you don't have as much time to turn this thing around. On up into your 50s and 60s, the older we get, I think we maybe even struggle with this more. I was in a class the other night, and they handed out a life stages worksheet. And I'm looking around the class, and there's all a bunch of 20-somethings, and there's me. <laughs> and this worksheet starts out in 18 to 20-year-olds, and it's talking about dreams and ambitions and goals, and, and then it breaks the categories down, and, and I'm in like the second-to-last category. <laughs> The 42 to 48s. And it has things on there. You realize that you're not going to reach your goals. You know, you've changed from having dreams and aspirations to being a mentor and helping others reach theirs. And I'm reading this and I'm just getting angry, you know. And then to add insult, she says, write a paper on where you fit in. Disappointment. In fact... We often hear about people going through midlife crisis, and Dr. James Dobson said that midlife crisis is more often in people who do not know the Lord or do not serve the Lord, and it really is about our expectations of where we thought we'd be right now. In fact, he used a vivid picture of a man taking a ladder and leaning it up against a building and climbing to the top of the building, and that's his life, and when he gets to the top, he realizes he's climbed the wrong building. And so we reassess. But David had this problem with disappointment. A second thing that can bring us down and cause the heart to be cast down is discouragement. It's a little different than disappointment. Disappointment is when my, my needs aren't met. Discouragement is when I come to the place where I say something like this, there's no way out. There's no way out. This is it. I'm stuck. David said, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? David has got to a point and his soul is cast down and, and he says, all that I do day and night is hear people question where my God is. And all that I have for food or substance day and night are tears that I shed. I'd say he's a little discouraged, wouldn't you? A little discouraged. And, and maybe we've found ourselves there before. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you relate to this idea of discouragement. Is Man, I am just stuck. There's no way out. All I can do is sit down and cry about it now. 
we talk a lot about crying, don't we? The song that come to mind, a couple of songs, I, I love music, and I kept thinking of that Big Girls Don't Cry song. But I think I like the other one better. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. <laughs> this discouragement has this feel to it that this is it. I'm stuck. Nothing's going to change. And his enemies come along and, and they chide him and they tease him with this and they taunt him with it and say, where is your God? There's no hope for you. Discouragement occurs when we feel that we have done everything we know to do. There is nothing else that we can do. And now there's no way out. That's discouragement. I read this week about a little boy who was playing baseball and a man approached the little league field and on the field he stood by the gate and he asked the boy in the dugout, he said, what, what the, what's the score? And the boy responded, 18 to nothing. We're behind. And the boy said to the man, or the, the, the man said to the boy, I bet you're discouraged. And the boy said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even got up to bat yet. (laughs) I think maybe we need to have a little bit of that optimistic spirit that the boy had. Sometimes we find ourselves discouraged because we're not where we want to be and, and we feel like we're stuck there. But hey, God has something for us, doesn't he? God can do great things for us. Jesus said in Matthew 19, or as the Bible says, but Jesus looked out to them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Don't fall to discouragement. Don't give in to this idea that I'm stuck. There's no way out. There's nothing I can do about this. Understand that we serve a God who can take us wherever we are and take us to where he wants us to be. That he can take us, and and in fact, our God wants us to live victorious lives. He says we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. He told us in 1 John, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. God is on our side, and we can overcome discouragement. A third thing that got David's soul to be cast down was dwelling in the past. And that'll get you down, won't it? Some of us have pasts that maybe we'd rather forget, and, and the devil has a way, doesn't he, of throwing our past up to us. We dwell in the past. How many of us have made mistakes? A few of you. How many of us have made really, really stupid mistakes? Say amen. And we tend to beat ourselves up over that, and we dwell in the past, and, and this dwelling in the past, maybe the phrase that came to my mind this week is I... Listen to it was, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. That's what I had in mind. David said in Psalms 42, 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go or I used to go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude keeping festival. And, and I guess the reason I think of it's not the same is because he said This is what I remember. And David was at a different place in life as he wrote this psalm. He wasn't back there, but he was somewhere else. And so he was kind of dwelling in the past a little bit. And some of us need to realize that just because things aren't the same doesn't mean things can't be good. Sometimes we go through changes in our lives that that just are overwhelming to us as they occur. But God leads us through these times to something else. And if we spend so much time dwelling on the past of what used to be, what could have been, what should have been, 
what I messed up and, and what I made a mess of, rather than where does God have me right now, our souls will be cast down. Memory is a funny thing, isn't it? Some things weren't really quite the way we remember them. How many of us have ever used the phrase, those were the good old days? Those were the good old days. Those were the days when you didn't have an iPhone. You didn't have, you know, padded pews in church. You didn't have air conditioning. You know, those were the days, you know, some of you know, you walked 20 miles to school in the morning, right? Uphill both ways and all that. Those were the good old days, though, right? Somehow we, our memory twists things. And then some of us are fortunate we just forget the old days. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But dwelling in the past is a sure recipe for misery. Things might not be the same, but being the same is not a measure of God's blessings either. The book of Job opens with God's question to Satan. Do you remember his famous question? The challenge, if you will. He says, have you considered my servant Job? And he goes on and he tells the story of Job, how Job had these wives and these children and he had riches, he had homes, he had fields, he had barns, he had all these things and Satan took them all. But we know that Job stood firm in his faith and he didn't give in, he served God no matter what and and Satan came back and once again God says, have you considered my servant Job? He said, well, you know, he lost everything but he still got his health. And Satan attacked his health. And maybe this morning, that have you considered my servant Job is a good question for all of us. Not just what Job had and lost, but maybe we should consider the end of Job's life. Listen to what the scripture says in the last chapter of Job, chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house, and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. As I read that this week, I thought, I'm going to start a new rule in my family. Anytime my brother comes over, he's to bring me a piece of gold. So he says, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of his first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third whatever. (laughs) And in all the, I didn't want to offend her by mispronouncing it. And in all the land, there was no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. Now understand this. Job had something good in the beginning. And he went through some very difficult times. But God gave him something good in the end, too. And my point is this. Job didn't dwell in the past. I mean, he could have spent the rest of this story saying, I wish I had my kids back. I wish I had my house back. I wish I had my land back. I wish I had all that back. But that was the past. 
And God had something new for Job now. Not that the past was a bad thing, or even that the current was a better thing, but it was a new thing. Sometimes we spend too much time dwelling in the past. And we need to see where God has us right now and be thankful for that. A fourth thing that stands out to me is that Job, excuse me, the psalmist had a defeated spirit. In fact, in verses 9 through 10, he picks up after already preaching the message of encouragement to himself, he once again goes back to his laments. He's already said, hey, why are you downcast? And why are you troubled about this? Put your hope in God. Straighten up. Get on with life. And then he comes back to complaining again. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And I think that's just a good reminder that when you and I find ourselves cast down or discouraged or defeated or disappointed, that we're going to struggle with that and we're going to have some ups and downs. And just because you've been down and you decided, hey, I'm going to turn my life over to God and I'm going to, I'm going to start going to church and serving the Lord, it doesn't mean that you're still not going to have times when you go back and start feeling that way again. You know what I'm talking about? Those things just come back to us, and they come back to him. And really, this idea of a defeated spirit, to me, the phrase that I come to mind is this. It's not changing. I was discouraged. I was disappointed. I've dwelt in the past, but I have made a commitment to trust God, to put my hope in him. But things just aren't changing. But The question really is, is your life really not changing or is it just not changing quickly enough? Sometimes we get in a real hurry to have God move in our lives, don't we? It's always amazed me that people come to church and, man, they've spent 30 years or 40 years just making a mess of life. And they come to an altar and they cry and they weep and they turn their lives over to God and praise God that's what they ought to do. But they get up and it's almost like I'm going to give him about three months to straighten this stuff out. And if he doesn't do it, I'm out of here. What took me 30 years to wreck, I want God to turn around Sunday morning before I even leave the altar. I expect to have a phone message on my machine that I got my job back. You know, everything's going to reverse within 24 hours. Once we're discouraged, we need to be very careful during our healing process to not fall back into those old patterns. Hope in God. G.K. Chesterton said this, Hope means nothing when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. In other words, what is hope if there's no hopelessness? And what good is hope if I'm not in trouble? As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. It's easy to praise God and say, I trust you, God. I believe in you, God, when everything's going well. But it's when we're going through those difficult times that things are a little different, and that's when hope's really put to the test. So we need to have a little talk with ourselves like David did. And I need to move along pretty quickly here, but... 
I want to just share with you that sometimes we need to have that talk. In 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, the scripture says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. There's nothing new for him. He found himself there before. And you know what? You and I need to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. You're here today, and hopefully you'll leave feeling good about things you've sung. You've heard some beautiful special music. And, I mean, you've shaken hands and got hugs and all that stuff. And you're going to leave. But what are you going to do Tuesday? Or Wednesday or Thursday? We need to encourage ourselves. Just as David spoke to himself. How do we get back up when we're discouraged? In that passage, verses 5 through 8, Let me give you some things that just stand out. There are three phrases that start with the phrase, I will, indicating this is on me. In fact, let me read the passage to you from the New Living Translation. It says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from the distant mountain, Hermon. He says three things there. I'm going to put my hope in God. You and I, in the midst of our discouragement, need to determine, I will put my hope in God. He will never fail us. You can put your hope in a lot of things. We have multiple options of things in this life to put our hope in. But only one will see us through. David's message to himself was this, I'll put my hope in God. Secondly, he said, I will praise Him. And praising God, similar to Chesterton's quote, it's one thing to praise God when everything is wonderful in our lives. But it's another thing to praise God when things aren't quite what we'd hoped, what we'd dreamed, and what we'd desired. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. And the third I will phrase said this, I will remember you. No matter what we go through today, this week, this point in our lives, it's very important for us to determine right here, right today, I'm going to hope in God, I'm going to praise God, and I am going to remember God. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what's going to unfold before us. But in the midst of whatever it is, we need to remember God. He is in control. He is all-powerful. He loves us. He wants the very best for us. And then in verse 7, David acknowledges that there will be difficult times in our lives. He talks about waves crashing over us and water flowing over us. And and he, he acknowledges that even these things are under God's control. And there's a certain amount of comfort in that, isn't there? that even the bad things that I go through are still under the command of God. He's still in control. The fiercest storms of life still answer to our God. And then we hold tightly to verse 8. Listen to what he said. He says, But each day the Lord pours His unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing His songs, praying to God who gives me life. Remember these two things, that God's unfailing love is being poured over us daily. That whatever hardship you're facing, whatever low point in life, whatever discouragement, whatever defeat, whatever disappointment you're going through, God's love is unfailing. 
and he pours it over us day and night. And then he made this statement. Through each night, I sing his songs. Sometimes we just have to sing and pray our way through the night. I was a kid, I used to hate nighttime. Sometimes I'm that way still when I've got things on my mind. The other day I got a part for my computer that I'd been wanting and to fix it and get it going again to make life a little easier. And the part came in while I was in a class. So I got home around 10 o'clock at night and my part's there and I said, I got to fix this. And I was up late fixing that thing and regretting it the next day. I didn't want night to come. I didn't want the day to end. I was a kid, I used to lay in bed and say, I don't want to go to sleep because it's going to be a long night and I want to get going again. But night comes, doesn't it? And as much as we don't want hard times to come to our lives, they do. As much as we don't want these dark periods to come into our lives, they do. But what makes the night go by quickly is when we sing and pray our way through the night. I can't help but think of the Apostle Paul singing in prison and praising God, even in chains. And God delivered. You ever feel like David? Cast down, disappointed, discouraged, dwelling in the past, or even defeated? Speak to yourself. Have a little talk with yourself. Hope in God. Put your trust in Him. This morning, one of the most hopeless places that anyone could ever be is without Christ. Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, he tells us further that the wages of sin is death. And we all face death, physical death, but this is a spiritual death. This is an eternal death. I am forever separated from God. And that is hopelessness. That's the ultimate of hopelessness. But this morning, Christ is hope in the midst of that hopelessness. You're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior. He is your greatest hope. He is your greatest hope. And by that, I mean that in the biblical sense, not in this take a shot, take a chance. I'm talking about something that we believe in solidly, that we expect this to happen. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Today would be the day to accept Him. Maybe you're here today and as a believer... You're discouraged and you're down and you're struggling with this. And as you read through that psalm, you can identify with these things. This this longing for God and this longing for intimacy with God. This crying through the night and this hunger within your soul that nothing seems to satisfy. You relate to David. Maybe God has just whispered in your ear, hope in me. Trust in me. Maybe we need to come and just say, God, putting my hope, I'm putting my trust. It's yours, God. See me through this. This night is long and dark, but I will sing and pray my way through it, God. Let's stand.